And here at Living Hope, uh, we want to have the slides on. We want to have a, <laughs> we want to have a, uh, a, we love Jesus. We want to have a, 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 we want to have a community of faith that sees no task too daunting and no sacrifice too great. And uh, we want to have an undaunted faith and an unlimited God. And, and yesterday I got back from a, a prayer retreat, a prayer summit over in Santa Rosa. It was like two days of just straight prayer. And every year I go, I always get something out of it. It's really exciting. This year in particular, I got something very special out of it because Living Hope this year, uh, we had the honor of having the largest church attendance. And so we got a prize. We got a bag of candy. So we got this from the retreat. So I'm really happy about this. I'm going to give it to the youth. And you guys can, uh, <laughs> can share that. But it's really exciting. Um, it was like 100 people, and we were there just reading God's word, proclaiming God's word. We were singing out loud. Um, we were praying. And, you know, you look at the schedule. It's like there's not really much of a schedule. It's just like this two-hour block, and it doesn't say anything. So just pray. And it's like after the two hours, we were praying for two hours straight, and then the, the, the uh, moderator said, oh, it's time to close. And we're like, oh, you know, it just seems so short. And uh, uh, so we were praying. The very first session was talking about uh, the faithfulness of God. You know, how, what are some things that we want to just cry out to the Lord and thank God for what he's done in the past year, the faithfulness of God? And he says, just, just, just read out scripture, cry out these prayers of how God has shown his faithfulness. And uh, so people were standing up and praying and shouting out things, and it was really exciting to hear things. And one lady, one sister stood up, and I actually peeked because I, I heard her prayer, and I was like, ooh, who's this person praying? And um, she was praying. She says she... Um, she praises God. She says, I praise God because I can use my hands and use my feet and I can walk and I can praise you. And I was like, well, who's praying that? That seems really unusual, you know. And uh, uh, so I, I saw who it was because I was peeking and I asked her, you know, how, you know, what were you praying about, you know. And she's, she said, well, la you know, a few months ago she was hit by a car and she was in the hospital and she suffered a heart attack and a stroke while she was in the hospital trying to recover. And she said she couldn't speak, uh, she couldn't move, her hands couldn't move, she couldn't walk. Uh, the doctors were saying, we don't know what's gonna happen. And she says, three months later, she says, I just wanna stand and I just wanna praise God. I just wanna thank God that I'm standing here and I can pray with you. And I could tell her mouth, she still says, I still have a long way to go. My mouth, I still can't say things. I still have a long way of therapy to go. But I'm just so thankful I can be here and just praising God. She's just a little little lady, she's not, not that old. And, and, um, and we're just, I just said, man, I just got to give her a hug and say, man, Jesus is so, Jesus is so good and he gives so good. And, and we, were just, we were just praising God and just saying some more, more prayers. And, and, and the theme of the, of the whole retreat was, was roof off and walls down. And it was this idea that the roof is off, meaning our relationship with God, nothing between our relationship with God. We're open with God, one-to-one. -one. And then walls down, meaning among ourselves as well, no walls. I and mean, we represented like about 25 churches of pastors and different leaders and, and different individuals and members and, and saying, hey, all all of us, we're here, we're just going to be able to share our hearts in prayer, and no walls between us, uh, and we're going to pray, and we're going to confess our sin, and, and, and just love the Lord, and I love this because, you know, <laughs> for me especially, I can go, and uh, I'm not, 
I don't have to be a pastor, you know. <laughs> I don't have to be a pastor. I just have to be a person who needs Jesus. That's what I feel like when I'm there. I feel like, you know, you're not a pastor. You don't have to worry about other people. You don't have to care about other, well, not, you don't have to care about other people. <laughs> not that I don't like this, but, but sometimes you feel like I got to go to a place where I don't have to, you know, put that pastor's hat on all the time. And I can just be in a place where um, I'm just a person who needs Jesus with everyone else who needs Jesus and just praying and loving God and, and singing praises to him. And that, that was really, really special. And so, um, yeah, so I'm ready to preach. <laughs> but anyways, we want to pray. We want to pray for, uh, for Lisa's dad. Lisa's dad um, passed away. And we want to really pray for, for their family. So let's go ahead and, and let's pray. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and we praise you because you are indeed a, a good God. You are a wonderful God. And even in our, in our suffering and in our loss, um, these things don't change your promises, Lord. And even sometimes when we um, may doubt or may be tempted to doubt, God, you find ways to come next to us and affirm to us that you are indeed um, our good Father that you love us so much, that you weep with us in our loss and you weep with us in our suffering. And you also uh, promise us uh, that we have hope, so much hope uh, because of Jesus Christ, Lord. Father, we wanna pray for Lisa and, and her husband Gary, for Kelsey, for Leanne, for Jack, for all the family, Lord. And we wanna pray that, um, that you will be with them, Lord, that they will feel a real sense of um, of your presence, of your love and encouragement and hope. And Father, even though we, 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 we don't know whether Lisa's dad ever uh, had, had, had said aloud any prayer of, of, of salvation, Father, we pray that perhaps in his heart and in the past, just even in the last moments, that perhaps he may have, have prayed a prayer of salvation, that maybe you have brought something to his mind or his heart that no one else knows uh, regarding the gospel and that he may have received you as Savior, Lord. But for Father, we really do pray for Lisa, and we pray that you'll continue to encourage her and love her and really love her family at this time, Lord. We thank you for the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. And, and Father, we think about uh, our dear brothers and sisters who are ministering in uh, East Asia, Lord, and, and they also have given up their lives to bring this gospel of Jesus Christ to those that really need him. Even though they reject the gospel, um, Father, we really do pray that you just continue to open hearts, Father. That God, that in a place that is closed, that you can open it, Father, with just a word. You can. And so, God, we want to offer up prayers of faith that not just you give these visas, not just you, you, you open this one person's heart, but, Father, you open the whole country. You open the whole region. You bring something there that, that wakes up that that, that, that people group and says, we need Jesus. Allah has, has not been, uh, has not given life, has not given hope. It is only Jesus. It's only, only Jesus. We believe you can do that and we pray for that. We pray that you'll surround uh, these dear ones who are serving you and Father, that they will see uh, your good work. They will see you at work in their lives and especially when they're discouraged, Lord, that they will, they will hear from your voice and know that they're doing a good job, a faithful job in you. And so God, we, we thank you that we can pray for them and know that, that, that you will answer, Lord. And so we thank you in Jesus' name we pray, amen.
All right, so today we're continuing in our series on effective prayer. We saw that James reminds us that the prayers of a righteous person are powerful in their working. That prayer is this powerful tool that's not just given, I mean, we're all considered righteous in the eyes of Jesus Christ because of Jesus and his blood that was shed for us. And therefore, this prayer now is a powerful tool uh, for every believer who has accepted him through faith. And we've looked at some of, our, some of the really powerful passages of prayer in the Bible. Actually, these are, since I get a pastor, I get to choose what passages we preach, I preach on. And these are like my favorite passages on prayer in the scriptures. We talked about Hannah's prayer, about how, how prayers transform us. We talked about David's prayer, about the idea of when we pray, we pray with expectation and really believe that God is going to answer. And today, we want to look at perhaps one of the most remarkable prayers in all of scripture, and that is the prayer of Hezekiah. And when we study this passage, or when we study this prayer, particularly this context of what's going on around him, we're going to learn what it means to pray prayers of faith. Now, we ask the question, how does prayer, you know, specifically um, uh, express our, our faith in God, and how can we grow in our faith as we continue to pray. So I'd like you to turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 19, verse 14. 2 Kings chapter 19, verse 14. And in reverence for the word of God, let's stand together. So this is the word of the Lord. Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messengers, and he read it. And Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed before the Lord, and he said, O Lord, God of Israel, enthroned above the cherubim, you are the God, you alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. So incline your ear, O Lord, and hear, and open your eyes, O Lord, and see, and hear the words of Sennacherib, in which he has sent to mock the living God. Truly, O Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste to the nations and their lands, and have cast their gods into fire, for they were not gods at all, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone, and therefore they were destroyed. So now, O Lord, our God, save us, please, from his hand that all the kingdoms of earth may know that you, O Lord, are God alone. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. From this passage, we're going to see that effective prayers are prayers of faith. Now, we may ask, you know, you may think about this and say, well, aren't all prayers, prayers of, aren't all prayers whenever we pray, isn't that an act of faith? I mean, we're, we're, um, we're praying genuinely to an invisible God, asking him to do something on our behalf. Is that not an expression of, expression of prayer? And I would say, yes, it is. It is an expression of prayer. But I believe that God also wants us to grow in our prayers of faith. See, faith is always hard to measure. You know, when you pray, you're wondering... Um, sorry, I didn't mean to knock that. I'm wondering, ah, is my prayer, how, how much faith is actually in my prayer? Or how can my prayers have more faith? And we say, oh, I'm not sure what that means, how that, that feels. Uh, uh, but, but Hezekiah's prayer actually gives us some tangible signs of prayers of faith. I mean, we know that, that faith is, is more than just a feeling. It's not just, I feel like, you know, I'm trusting God, or I believe in my heart that God's going to answer prayer. We know that, that really faith is about acting 
on what we believe. See, if you don't act on what you believe, then our, our, our faith actually is, actually, honestly, of little value. See, faith involves acting, based, acting in the present based on a confidence of what God will do in the future. Meaning, he hasn't done it yet. It's in the future. It's unseen. But I'm going to do these things. I'm going to make these decisions based on what I believe God is going to do. A faith is acting in the visible world, making real-world decisions based on the invisible realities of God. We know that God is there. We cannot see him, but we still believe by faith, and so we make these decisions based on what we believe. As parents, we know that, you know, we say, well, you can't just use your words. Uh, you can't just, you know, talk. You have to do what you say. When you tell your kids, you know, uh, pray, obviously you have to pray yourself. When you tell your kids, uh, clean up, you have to kind of be clean yourself. Otherwise, they're like, you know, you don't do what you say, mom. You don't do what you say, dad. Uh, Today, we want to change that up a bit. Instead of we saying, uh, do what you say, we want to say, if we want to pray prayers of prayer, of faith, then we have to do what we pray. Okay, we have to do what we pray. Now, Hezekiah, he was the king of Judah in uh, 2 Kings chapter 18, verse 5. And it says that this, he says, he trusted the Lord, the God of Israel, so that there was none like him among the kings of Judah after him. He held fast to the Lord. He did not depart from following him, but kept the commandments that the Lord commanded Moses. And the Lord was with him wherever he went, whenever he went out, and he prospered him. And he rebelled, he, meaning uh, Hezekiah, rebelled against the king of Assyria. Now, Hezekiah began his rule at a very young age. He was 25 years old, and he's considered one of the greatest kings of the southern kingdom of Judah. As far as his domestic policy was concerned, uh, he rid the land of idolatry. He tore down all the idols. He tore down all the high places where people were worshiping on their own instead of going to the temple. And he brought, actually, his actions brought a great spiritual revival throughout the entire southern nation. That was his uh, domestic policy. His foreign policy was even bolder. In verse seven, we see here it says, he rebelled against the king of Assyria. Now, what's this all about? Now, in our Life Bible classes, we've been talking about the idea about you know, Judah being uh, taken captive by Babylon. Well, Assyria was the, the nation before Babylon. And uh, Assyria was a ruthless war machine, and it basically just plowed over and just plowed over these nations and, and destroyed them. And so basically you were either conquered or you either gave tribute. And so the previous king of Judah, who was Hezekiah's father, said, I'll choose a second. We'll give tribute. We'll give tribute every year, whatever you ask. Even if you ask for more gold, I'll give it to you. Whatever you want, just don't take us as a nation. Just give us peace. And so uh, his father just kept paying tribute to, um, to the uh, Assyrians. Now Hezekiah, however, when he became king, he made the fateful decision to join this. There's a growing alliance of these nations who are in opposition to Assyria, including Egypt. And so he stopped, Hezekiah stopped, stopped paying the tribute to Assyria. And he says, we're going to trust in God. That God does not want us to be slaves of another nation, and God's going to protect us. 
from the Assyrians. And so Sennacherib, who is the king of Assyria, he sent three officers and he sent a huge army down to Judah, to Jerusalem. And so he, he destroyed all these little cities and he's now surrounding Jerusalem with his huge army. And the leaders come up to the wall and they speak out so that everybody on the wall can hear. And they speak it in, in Aramaic and in Hebrew so that everybody can understand. And they, they, they say, these are the terms of surrender. Since you have resisted, you know, paying, uh, paying these things. Now, Hezekiah, we'll see, he refuses these terms, and he goes to the Lord in prayer. But as we look at these actual terms, like what, what was actually written in the letter, we're going to see kind of three areas where faith is really put to the test. Faith is about whether you're going to choose the world or whether you're going to choose God. I mean, that's the basic decision of faith. So everything about Sennacherib's letter, about his threats, is about the world. It represents the world and its values and its promises and its threats. And then Hezekiah, his refusal to give in to Sennacherib's uh, demands is his determination to live by faith, to really trust that God is the one and the only one who, who deserves our trust and our honor. So there are three things about, his, about this, um, these terms that, uh, that, that tell us about prayers of faith. And the first thing is that prayers of faith mean choosing between following God or following the world. If you look at verse 18, 19, it says, Say to your king Hezekiah, Say to your king Hezekiah, Thus says the great king of Assyria, and he says this, on what do you rest this trust of yours? What are you trusting in, Hezekiah? People, what are you trusting in right now? And he goes on to say, yeah, I know. I know about your precious alliance. He says, I know that you have other kingdoms and you're trying to trust in, in Egypt. And he says, Egypt's that broken staff of a reed. You try to lean on it, it's going it's to fall and you're going to cut. Just, it's not going to be nothing. And he says, you know, in fact, he says, I'll make a deal with you. I'm so confident that we will destroy you, that I will even give you 2,000 of my own horses. I'll give them to you and to fight against me, and I'll still beat you. That's what Sennacherib was saying to Hezekiah. So what is Sennacherib really saying to the people of Israel? He was saying, victory goes to the one who has the strongest alliances and the greatest military might. And Sennacherib says, and you got neither, and I got it all. And see, that's what the world often says to us, right, isn't it? So the world says, you know, if you got money, you got it all. You'll do fine. If you have enough clout and position, you know the right people, you've done the right, you've done your homework, then you're going to be okay. You, if, if, if you follow this right path, you make these choices that, that successful people have made, you follow that book, you know, of what, you know, 10, you know, principles for success from this multi-billionaire person who came from Silicon Valley who wrote this book, and you'll notice, say, and you'll notice that all the five books have these principles in mind, so I'm going to write my own book of the three principles that have been written out of the 10 principles of the 15 books of all the successful people in the world, and if you follow these things, you're bound, I mean, they're they, they interlock, they, they, they tell you exactly how to have success, how you can have a secure future. 
And, and that's kind of what Sennacherib is saying to the Israelites, saying, hey, you know, you, you got to know, look at history, man. The people with the biggest army, the people that, that have all the alliances, the people that really are the powerful nations, they're the ones that get what they want, and you got nothing. And, and God, but God was saying to Hezekiah and saying to the Israelites, how long? How long will you trust in worldly things? He said, how long will you trust in these worldly alliances? Are you really going to trust in Egypt? You don't trust in Egypt. When will your choices in life show that you really trust me? Trust me alone. You know, maybe you're here today and, and you have some big decisions before you right now. Maybe they're decisions about your family. Uh, maybe they're decisions about your work. Maybe they're decisions that are going to affect your future and your long-term future. How do these decisions, when you make them, display a con conscious choice to say, I'm not going to trust in the world, but I'm going to trust in God? Maybe you're here today and, and you're struggling because in the world's eyes, you really feel like, man, uh, there's no way I can win. Everything is against me. I, I, I don't have the things that, that the world says I need to have to have happiness. Uh, I, I, I don't have what everyone else has. And they're telling me that you have to have this and you have to have this. Or they're telling me that you're not going to make it or you're not going to amount to anything or this is not going to happen or that's not going to happen. And God's saying, how long are we going to listen to the voices of the world and, and say, you know, When are we going to trust in God? When, the God when, when God says you are more than conquerors, why? Because of Jesus. That's it. You're more than conquerors because you obeyed me and did all the education like you were supposed to. You're more than conquerors because you were very smart and saved your money for retirement like you were supposed to. No, it doesn't say that. See, you're more than conquerors in Jesus Christ. That's it. Every one of you, doesn't matter what your worldly situation is, God says, you believe me, you trust me, this is what the word of God says. Prayers of faith are prayers that come out of a life that chooses God rather than trusting the world. Do our prayers, not just our specific prayers, but is my life this way, this constant number of choices where I am choosing to specifically reject the world and trust Christ in these specific decisions. And as I do that, then my prayers become more filled with faith when I speak with him. Second element of prayer. Prayers are asking, not just choosing between following God and the world, but choosing between God's promises and the world's promises. You know, um, for every promise that God gives, Satan always gives a, 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 a counteroffer. He always does. I mean, you know, if Jesus, when, when, God, when Jesus came to earth, God's mission to, God, to Jesus said, if you obey me, you will die on the cross, you will rise again, you'll be the risen king, and you will offer my salvation to the entire world, anyone who, uh, who wants to believe. That's my promise. Satan in the wilderness says, hey, Jesus, I'll give you a counteroffer. How about that? I can make you king right now. You don't suffer and die. Don't, don't follow God's plan because that includes suffering and dying. Um, you follow me and, and 
I'll give you the kingdoms of the world right now. And Jesus, of course, said no. Why? Because Satan's counteroffers are very consistent. They're always easier. They're always quicker. And they're always less painful. Right? I mean, not that everything that's easier and quicker is sinful, but I mean, in general, if we think about the counteroffers that Satan awfully, often gives to us, um, uh, they're an easier way to say, oh, don't follow God. Here's an easier way to do it. Oh, don't follow God. Here's a quicker way to get exactly what you want. Oh, don't follow God because it's kind of painful. It's hard. Do this way. It's a lot easier. Um, but in the end, we know that the counterfeit offers of Satan are, are lies. They uh, involve compromise, and they lead to to slavery, not blessing. And so here's King, uh, in 2 Kings, Sennacherib, he's acting like Satan. He's saying, hey, Hezekiah and the people, I'm going to give you a counteroffer. And he says, don't listen to Hezekiah, verse uh, 31. He says, do not listen to Hezekiah, for this is the king of Assyria, for thus says the king of Assyria, make peace with me and come out. Don't, just go out of the door right now. Then each of you will eat his own vine, and each of you his own fig tree, and each of you will drink from his own cistern. Now, what's really weird and, and significant about this is in heaven, <laughs> the promised land is actually described like this. Your own fig tree, uh, your own vine, and your own cistern. The Bible even says that that's part of the promised land. And so uh, Assyria, the king of, king of Assyria, he's saying, I'll give you these things. See, Assyria, they had this policy of whenever they conquered a nation, they didn't just kill you, they relocated you. They, they put you in other countries, they spread you out all over the place so you can't rebel again. And they hope that you know, you'll live in this other land, you know, things like that. And so the, the king of Assyria is saying, hey, tell you what, I'll give you a counteroffer. You guys walk out the door right now. Don't listen to Hezekiah, don't listen to God, and I'll make sure that when it comes time to relocation, I got your back. Does that sound like the world? I got your back. I'll be thinking about you. You do this for me, I'll do this for you. See, the world says, okay, God promises you blessing and goodness right now in eternity if you honor him as king right now. The world says, man, but are you really experiencing blessing right now? Look at your life. It's hard, right? You're being persecuted for your faith. He says, I'll give you a counteroffer. Why don't you just give in to the world? Make the world, make, make work your idol, and I'll make sure that you're successful and rich. That's what the world says. The world says, be selfish, be self-seeking, just like everyone else, and you'll get everything you want, just like everyone else. You know, compromise. The world says, compromise on God's moral commands, and don't try so hard to honor God, and, and yet you'll have more pleasure. See, that, that's the counteroffer of the world, but the, the counteroffers are lies. It just brings slavery. It just brings death. See, faithful prayers, are, 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 they reflect the deliberate choice to reject the counteroffers of the world, to reject the substitute rewards and promises that the world gives and say, I, you know, I don't want worldly success. I, I don't want worldly pleasure. Faithful prayers choose to follow Jesus Christ, to walk as he did, to pick up the cross in order to find true reward. Faithful prayers choose to follow Jesus because we know that true life is a resurrected life. And if we want to live a resurrected life, that means we've got to die first. That's, that's God's promise. 
Don't give in to the world. Don't give in to the world's promises. It promises nothing. You, you, you stand with God like Hezekiah, and you will have that resurrected life every day. And so the final, we look at this and we say, okay, choosing between following God or the world, choosing between God's promises and the world's promises, and finally, uh, prayers of faith involve choosing between God's sovereign plan or the world's narrative. Now, this is a little like, what does this mean? Um, what is a counter-narrative? What is a counterfeit narrative? Well, a narrative actually is basically, a counterfeit narrative is an attempt to replace the truth with a different explanation. Simple as that. I'll give you an example, uh, an extreme example. There are some people in the world who believe that Holocaust never occurred, right? World War II, the Nazi Germany. There are some people that really do believe, they say a Holocaust didn't, didn't happen. History shows that during World War II, over six million Jews were killed by Nazi Germany. There's evidence of camps, there's records, there's eyewitnesses, there's photographs. So the truth is irrefutable, and yet there are still people who will say, I got a counter-narrative, I got a counterfeit narrative, it never happened, it's all a conspiracy. I can explain to you, I can give you a different explanation for all these things that you see. It's trying to convince people to believe in a lie. And that's what Sennacherib tries to offer, this counter-narrative to the Israelites. And he says to them in verse 11, he says, Behold, you have heard what the kings of Assyria have done to all the lands, devoting them to destruction. Meaning, just go and look at all the other nations that stood against us. And look what happened to them. And he goes and he starts naming them off. Where is Gozan? Gone. Where is Haran? Gone. Where is Eden? Gone. Go back. You can, I'll even let you out and go look at the land and look at the, the, the dead bodies and, and the burned houses and, and how they were all destroyed. And they're never going to rise again. And he says, he says, look at history. Assyria has conquered every nation that it has faced. And so their gods have failed them. So your God will fail you. Sennacherib says, here's the narrative, here's my version or my explanation of all the things that you see around you. My explanation is that Assyria is an irresistible force of nature and no god can stand against it. Because we got proof. Look at the world around you. Hezekiah says, that's a lie. That's a counterfeit narrative. Because I'll tell you what the real truth is. He says, the real truth, he says, truly, O Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste to the nations and their lands and have cast their gods into fire. But here's the reason why it happened. Because they were not gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. And so what Hezekiah is saying, this is the truth. He's saying, is Assyria and all its conquests are not testimony of Assyrian strength. All that Assyria has done is proven that the idols and gods of all these nations are worthless. That's all they've done. And he says, and now God is about to show you the only and true God. In the same way, you know, the modern world often offers us false narratives. The water world will say, well, the reason why you suffer, when you suffer, it's because you did something bad. It's because God, uh, 
doesn't care for you. That's why you suffer. It's because God's not really that good. He's forgotten about you. That's, that's, that's the truth. But we know that's a lie. The world says, look around you, oh, the wicked, they're suffering. I mean, they're, 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 are they suffering? No. Look, look around you, these people, they're not, they're not Christians. They don't follow Jesus. And look how, much, look how excited they are. Look how happy they are. Look at how much they have. Look on Facebook. Look on you know, everything. Who, who are the most you know, famous, powerful people in the world? Do they follow Jesus? No. So, so, so God really is not that powerful. He's not that just. See, the world's trying to convince us to say, sacrifice for God, vain. Stand for God, vain. It's trying to change the whole narrative about what is life, what is blessing, what is right, what is best, what it means to to follow God. And and prayers of faith say we reject this false narrative. We refuse to believe the lie that that, that the world is trying to say, that, that we hold to God's sovereign plan. We believe and understand why God does the things that he does, even amidst suffering, even amidst struggle, even when things don't make that much sense to me right now about what's happening and why these are happening, but I believe in the truth. I believe in what God is saying to me. And, 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 uh, and the speaker, at, uh, at uh, one of the people shared at the, at, the, uh, retreat, at the retreat, he's saying, Christian, it's your choice. I mean, you can trust in your feelings, you can trust in what you see around you, or you can trust in what you know to be true. He says, that's up to you. Trust in your feelings. We know how unreliable our feelings are. Trust in what we see. We know how things change just like that in one day. Or are you going to trust in what you know to be true? What God promises, what God says. God's sovereign plan. Not the counterfeit narratives of this world. And so we look at this and we see that, again, prayers of faith God trusting the world, either trusting God, trusting the world, trusting God's promises, wanting God's promises, or wanting, you know, these, these cheapo rewards from the world. Or a last thing is choosing between God's plan, sovereign plan, understanding and seeing truth in that way, or trying to, 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 to believe the lies that the world is trying to convince us of. That's... Um, these are the things that are, are up against Hezekiah. And this really creates kind of the, uh, the, uh, the context by which we now read Hezekiah's prayer. All of this brings us to Hezekiah and what he actually prays. And it's, it's just incredible. I mean, you've got to picture this right now. Hezekiah, okay, visually, he's like this king of this little um, city of Jerusalem right here, you know with a wall around it, and, you know, it's not really soldiers around it. It's like men, women, and children inside and stuff like that. And then you've got the vast Assyrian army around it saying, give it up. You got nowhere to go. No one's going to come save you. I mean, I think of like Lord of the Rings, like the you know, Helm's Deep or Pelennor Fields where it's just like this little thing. I mean, if you, yeah, if you're geeky, Pelennor Fields, like, you know, Minas Tirith, like this city, and then just hordes of just huge armies around saying, nothing's going to save you. Nothing's going to save you. And Hezekiah, he's, he receives this letter from Sennacherib, and he has to make this decision on which the fate of hundreds of thousands of people, families, women, and children depend on what he chooses to do. 
And what does he do? He goes into the temple. He takes the letter and he sets it before the Lord and he, he lies on his face and he, he, he cries out this, this prayer to God, the most beautiful prayer in the, in, the, in the Bible. If you're not tired, close your eyes because I want you to hear. I want you to hear, think about, you picture in your mind what he is facing, the weight of his nation on his shoulders and what he says to God. He says, O Lord, the God of Israel, enthroned above the cherubim, you are the God, the God alone of all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. And God, incline your ear, O Lord, and hear and open your eyes, O Lord, and see and hear the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent to mock the living God. Truly, O Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste to the nations and, and their lands and have cast their gods into a fire. But they were not gods, but the work of men's hands, just wood and stone, and therefore they were destroyed. So now, O Lord, our God, save us, please. Save us from his hand, that all the kingdoms of earth may know that you, O Lord, are God alone. You feel it? That's his prayer. You feel what Hezekiah is saying before the Lord. You can open your eyes. He's saying, oh Lord, the God of Israel enthroned above the cherubim, you are the God of that army surrounding us. You are the God of, of the very ground that they stand on. And he says, he says, Assyria has laid waste to nations, but they did the one thing that they shouldn't have done. They mocked your holy name. They mocked your holy name. And so now, O Lord our God, save us, please, from his hand. Not so that I may have another day to live. Not so that I may be able to prove that I'm a good king but so that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you, O Lord, are God alone. That's his prayer. That's a prayer of faith. That's a prayer of a life that has put everything in God and God alone. So, If we want to pray prayers of faith, then we have to do. We have to do what we pray. More than just words. And we ask the question, are my prayers prayers of faith? Am I giving into the lives of this world? Finally, the last thing is God's response to prayers of faith. And I have to cover this thing. There's two things. There's affirmation. In, in Hezekiah, in, in, in 2 Kings chapter 19, verse 6, the prophet Isaiah spoke to Hezekiah and he said, do not be afraid because of the words that you have heard. Instead, behold, I'm going to put a spirit in Sennacherib so that he will return to his own land. He will fall by the sword of his own land. And you're looking at it going, you know, I'm looking at this, you know, king who's ready to just run in and destroy us. And Hezekiah says, I 
you know, I'm just praying. And Isaiah says, don't worry, king. God says, that king out there, he's going back. He won't set foot inside these walls. We always need assurance. God will always assure us. And God answers prayer. He said, the Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, it says, that night the angel of the Lord went out and struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians while they were sleeping. When the people arose early in the morning, behold, there were all the dead bodies around them. Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, then departed, went home, lived in Nineveh, and while he was worshiping his God, his sons struck him down with the sword. And it's very significant. It says, while he was worshiping his, what? His idol, right? His work of his hands, his stone or, or wood of his hands. While he was worshiping this God, uh, uh, he was struck down. His God's nothing. At the prayer summit, we got to break up into small groups and it was really neat because we, we pray with these guys and there's one guy from Santa Rosa, he's a pastor. Santa Rosa, and you know Santa Rosa had the big fire, right? And, uh, you know, they were saying, like, his wife woke up at 2 in the morning and saw the smoke, and they, 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 they got out of the house right away and, and, uh, and packed up everything they could. They went to all their neighbors, and, and, and then they fled. And they were saying, well, thank God, you know, that, that we just happened to wake up. And they fled, and his house is gone. He said, I lost everything in the fire. And, and so uh, he said, Let's, uh, pray for me. And so he would sit in the middle, and he said, pray... Uh, Pray that I would be humble. And he read um, Isaiah chapter 6. You know, I, I saw the temple and it shook and the, the train of, of the robe of, of Jesus, you know, filled the temple with glory. And he said, I want you to pray that um, I'll be humble. And, and as we were praying for him and I was like, well, that's an odd prayer. You lost your whole house, right? You lost everything. Why, why would you pray for humility, you know? So then I, I talked with him afterwards and I found out that after his house was burned down, after he lost his whole house, um, the, the whole church came back to that neighborhood. And they were able to minister to how many? Make sure. A thousand homes. A thousand people who had lost, a thousand households who had lost their homes in the fire. Share the Jesus Christ with every one of them. Every one of them. His whole neighborhood. What would you do to share the gospel with a thousand households in your neighborhood, what would you do? What would you give up? What would you sacrifice? Would you sacrifice your house? This man, when he shared, it was just so powerful to say, yeah, you know, I lost my house. I lost everything. God, why did you do this? And, and, you know, and, and people may say, you know, why didn't God protect you? Why didn't he save your house? Wouldn't it have been a great testimony if every house around you burned and your house was, was there and you could say, oh, you know, believe in Jesus and, and this is what happens. No, your house burned down too. Your stuff is all gone. Why? So that a thousand households in your neighborhood may know that Jesus is God. That's why. Let's go ahead. Let's spend some time in prayer. Let's spend some time in prayer. Let's ask God that he will fill our lives and our prayers, especially with faith. It's been too long where we've been trusting this world. It's been too long where we've been listening to the lies of this world. 
those false narratives. And we want to say, God, I want to, I want to trust you alone. I want to know what that means to trust you alone. I want to surrender my life no matter what it means, whatever you take, God, so that I may trust you alone. So that everyone will know that Jesus is the only God. Let's go ahead and just spend some time in prayer.